thankful for this opportunity to, to preach tonight. As the pastor said, this is our last Sunday at Freeway. And I'm just very, very thankful for the time that we have had in this place. I'm thankful for the ministry of Freeway Baptist Church. When my wife and I moved to Arizona, we realized that what we were accustomed to back east in the Bible Belt was not exactly very common around here. And when we found Freeway Baptist Church, we were thrilled to death to have a church that was Christ-centered and focused on preaching the gospel and teaching God's Word. And I was so mindful this morning as I looked out, as I saw Pastor Eckleberry. And Pastor, I was just mindful of his commitment over the decades to preach the gospel and to teach the Word in this place and what we saw today is the work of the Lord over many, many years with many pastors and dedicated Christian service, servants. And I want to say that I count myself blessed and honored to uh, help this pastor and work alongside him for these few years that we've had here. Andy, it's just been a joy to hear you play the piano and to lead singing. And folks, you have no idea how talented this woman is because I'm not a trained singer and whenever I sing a song, sometimes I kind of modify the, the tempo a little bit and yet she is so skilled, she just goes right along and nobody knows the difference, but I know. I want to say how much my wife and I love the people of Freeway Baptist Church. We are so thankful for the warm way we have been received for the generosity, the affection, the thoughtfulness of the people of this church. And without question, without reservation, I can tell you this is the most loving and the most caring church that I've ever been a part of. And I count it a true blessing to have been here all this time. I did not get to say goodbye to everyone this morning, so for the benefit of those of you who may be watching that we're here this morning and I didn't get to say goodbye to you. I apologize. I did not mean to snub anyone, but there were just so many people. And it was such an emotional time. But just let me say tonight that if you were here and I didn't get to say bye to you, I love you and I thank God for you. And for all of those of you who are watching, we have people watching this service tonight from many different states, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, California, Idaho, many others. And for each one of you who are watching, I'm just so thankful that I have this opportunity to share the Word of God with you. And I ask you to pray. Pray for this church. The devil hates the work that's going on here. And he is fighting all he can do to destroy this work and to slow it down. And I am thankful for God's faithfulness over the years as he has deployed many servants to this place. Many have come and served, and many have gone. But, Pastor, I noticed some new faces today. There were some people here who are leaving, but I saw new faces coming in who are ready to serve, and that's encouraging. So tonight, as I prepare uh, to give this, I, I plan a brief message. I say that cautiously because I've learned that that's not a good thing to say, Brother Lyle. But I just want to say, praise the Lord for his involvement in our lives from day to day. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness. 
to take care of us and to watch over us, to not only protect us, but to provide for us and to use us. Think of it. He saves us. He equips us. He calls us. And He works through us. Then He rewards us. What a blessing. What a wonderful blessing it is. Right now, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Precious Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. And we know that as we read in your word, you are far more wonderful than our, than our frail and simple minds can imagine. Yet, Lord, we know enough to know that you're good and kind and merciful and gracious. And you've been good to us throughout the years. And we can proclaim your faithfulness with many, many examples of your kindness to us. So, dear Lord, we know that your loving kindness is better than life. And we come to you tonight with praise and thanksgiving for all your goodness to us. Not just the gift of eternal life, though that's wonderful. But Lord, the many, many years of your faithful care and protection and provision as we are your, your very own. So Lord, I ask that you bless in this message tonight. May it be an encouragement to these members of Freeway Baptist Church. Lord, may it be a, an encouragement to the workers of this church and especially our dear pastor. Dear Lord, we ask that you would strengthen him, give him that supernatural strength, give him wisdom beyond what he would normally have. Give him, uh, give him a, a fresh anointing of your spirit that he might continue doing what he's doing already, but that he might have a wonderful blessing from heaven as he does it. Bless now your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Because this is my last Sunday at Freeway Baptist Church, I'm especially thankful for an opportunity to, to preach. And Pastor Chapel has been so very kind to me, an old retired preacher. Uh, I told him one day, I said, Brother, I'm not nearly as good a preacher as you are, and uh, I'm not as smart and sharp as I used to be, but I do love the Lord with all my heart. And it's my joy to serve him, and I just do the best I can. But tonight, as it is, is, as it is my last service here at Freeway, I want to preach a message that I've entitled, A Sad Farewell. I say farewell to Freeway Baptist Church today, and tonight I do. Uh, it is a sad farewell. Uh, we had so many tears today in Sunday school as I had my farewell class. As we looked over some of the material that we had studied in the past uh, year or so, as we considered God's blessings on the individual families and how the truth of what we have been studying has been borne out in individual lives and individual families. And our theme for this uh, history of Israel was the fact that well, we focused on two things, the involvement of the one true and living God in our daily lives and his faithfulness to lead his people in the way of righteousness. Oh, how we focused on the weakness of man, the failure of man, and yet he, the Lord, abideth faithful. As we were discussing this message tonight, as the pastor invited me to preach, uh, even though I always have a few sermons ready in case I'm called on short notice, None of the others quite fit the bill for tonight, Pastor. But the Lord almost immediately drew my attention 
to this thought in Acts chapter 20. And in the morning message, he referred to part of that. But I want to talk about a sad farewell. Uh, on his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul was uh, in the latter days of his ministry. And uh, he had finished somewhat a, uh, a dramatic ministry there in Ephesus. And they had left there. And when he arrived in Miletus, he called for the elders of the church. He had some parting words he wanted to share with them. Uh, he had some serious counsel for them. And as I think about leaving this church, I'm thinking about God's blessing on Freeway Baptist Church. I've been in this church as different people have come down that aisle. When you've preached, when I've preached, and received Christ as Savior, and various ones, what glorious moments we've had in that baptistry, Pastor, as you have baptized one after another, after another, after another. As you have asked people, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you believe that He died and rose again? And they would say, yes. And I could just hear uh, those in heaven shouting, when these days of victory were celebrated here. And I'm so thankful that I was here for some of that. But as we're leaving, I feel somewhat what the Apostle Paul felt as he called for the elders of the church there at Ephesus to meet with him. In no way do I want to suggest that I'm a great man like the Apostle Paul. Not at all. But I can share some of his feelings. I can share some of his desire. I can... I could feel his sadness as he would leave. And, and so he was in Miletus and he called for the elders of Ephesus. It was a place of dramatic ministry just recently. I remember reading in Acts chapter 19 uh, and verse 20. It, it was a place of powerful, fruitful preaching. In Acts chapter 19 and in verse 20 we read a simple verse. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Ephesus was a wicked town. It was an idolatrous town, and they worshipped the goddess Diana. And it was a place given to idolatry. And the Lord sent his servant there to preach and to teach and to establish them in the faith. And after doing such a great work for a long time there, it says here that, I love what it says, and mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Pastors, you're preaching. And as you're teaching, I have brought people to this church. And I would go to their home and ask them, what did you think of Freeway Baptist Church? And you know what one of the most common things I hear? I love the preaching of Pastor Chapel. I love his teaching. One guy looked at me and said, what a guy. I can tell you this. That when people are preaching the word of God in the power of God, it makes a difference in people's lives. It can not only bring the word of God and the, 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 uh, the love of God and the mercy of God, can not only bring salvation and make you a new creature, but it changes your whole life. And as he ministered there, uh, the word of God was mightily preached and it prevailed. But it was also a place of intense opposition to the gospel. Uh, as he began to preach, and as people began to get saved, and more and more people began to get saved, this guy named Demetrius was concerned about their, about their businesses as they made little idols of Diana, and he warned the people. 
And he warned the people that uh, it would harm their commerce. It would, this man and his message and the impact of his message going to cause our, uh, a ruin of our, our industry. Our commerce is going to suffer because of this. I looked in uh, act, uh, chapter 19, verse 34. And uh, so after he stirred up the people, I want to let you know right away that it doesn't matter how dedicated our pastor is. It doesn't matter how much he studies and how committed he is, how passionate he is. The devil's not going to give up. The devil's not going to rest. The devil's not going to give you any peace. The harder you try, the harder he opposes. And so here in verse 34, it says, And when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. If I did that for two minutes, you'd really be wary of hearing that. No matter who it is, great as whatever idol it is. But for two hours? I'm saying that just to remind you of the intensity of Satan's attack and his foothold in that place. But aren't you glad that we read that the Word of God, we read that just a minute ago, the Word of God grew mightily and prevailed. The Lord has made me even more of an optimist than I was already. I'm by nature, I'm an optimistic person. But I have seen how the Lord can touch the lives of unsaved people. I have known people who, are, who were criminals and wicked and evil whose heart has been touched by the Lord. I witnessed to a brother of mine in 1976 who had been a, uh, one of the, he was a, he was a man whose life was not, uh, uh, let's say, wholesome. I'll put it that way. But I will say this. I received a letter from my brother when I was in Turkey. And he said to me, he said, I want you to pray for me that I might be saved. He said, I was with you the night you became a Christian. And I wanted to become a Christian, but I was afraid. And so I didn't do anything, so pray for me. Pastor, we had 13 names on the prayer list for salvation. And during the three and a half years I was in Turkey, we prayed for all 13 every night. Every night, the men of our congregation got together. Every night, seven days a week, we got on our knees before God and we, the men would weep and pray and we'd beg God to save these people. I want to tell you tonight, all 13 people were saved. Everyone. And one of them was my brother. I went to his house when I came back from overseas. And he told me we, we were sitting in the living room. His wife uh, gave us a kiss goodnight and went to bed. And uh, we were talking. He said, I'm going to tell you. I don't want you preaching to me. I don't want you reading that Bible to me. I have my Bible in my hand. And I said, okay. And I pitched my Bible over there on the couch. I said, I won't preach to you. And I won't read the Bible to you. But I said, I'll tell you one thing. You can't stop me from loving you. And you can't stop me from praying for you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to pray for you until you either get saved or you die and go to hell. And I got real quiet. In a moment, he asked, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. My grandmother was an amputee, only had one leg. And he loved her and she loved him. They had a very special relationship. And she was a godly woman and she told him about the Lord many, many times, just as she did me. She bought us our first Bible and taught us to follow the Lord and believe the Bible. 
And so he looked at me and he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. He said, in heaven, will Nanny have two legs? I said, David, she'll have two legs and she'll leap like a deer. <laughs> Suddenly he jumped to the floor on his knees with tears falling out of his eyes. He said, help me to be saved right now. Folks, I've seen it. I've seen the power of God at work in people's lives that other people would say, this person will never get saved. And I've seen it happen. And I've seen families brought back together. The Word of God grew mightily and prevailed, it says, in Ephesus. And yet for two solid hours, these idol worshipers said, great, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Well, as the story goes on, we simply want to say that Paul was headed to the latter days of his ministry. So many things uncertain, but he knew that the Lord had called him to suffer and to preach and to suffer and to preach. And, and brother, suffering just part of the deal. And so he wanted to meet with these elders and to give them a word of encouragement, exhortation, and a word of warning. In, verse, uh, in Acts chapter 20, I want us to go to, to verse 19 through 21. Paul gives a reflection of his passionate, diligent ministry with them. Uh, follow along as I read in Acts chapter 20. I'll be reading verses 19 through 21. The Apostle Paul is saying, in verse 18, I'll start in verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lag and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just say quickly, that I appreciate so much one of the concepts that the pastor has taught this congregation that repentance is not just turning from sin repentance is turning from self or anything that is apart from Jesus we turn to him I have nothing to offer him he's a creator of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. And who am I? An insignificant, weak, carnal human being. He has everything to offer me and I have so little to offer him. And so repentance is turning from self to the savior. Realizing that you are utterly helpless. You cannot save yourself. You're utterly helpless to remedy your lost condition. And so in repentance, we turn from self and the everything turned to Jesus. He and he alone hung on that cross. He alone has the scars in his hands and feet that brought my redemption. I say tonight, the apostle reflected on his manner of ministry. You know, every day of our lives, we're building a reputation. Every single day, we're adding a block to that recreation or that uh, reputation house. I sat 
up here and as we were going through the service, preparing to sing, I looked back there about where Brother Lyle is tonight. I saw Pastor Eckleberry and his wife. Pastor, I thought about all the years that he labored in this church. I thought about all the sleepless nights, all the tears he shed, all the hours of counseling, all the hours of planning, and then executing that plan with one great goal in mind, and that is to see men and women, boys and girls saved, and to see families spared from the agony of, of divorce and breakup, and to see people come to know the, the wonder of it all, the glory of our Savior, and the wonderful life that we can have. He said, I know the thoughts I have to you. Oh, they're thoughts of peace and not evil. To bring us to an expected end. The Lord has plans for every one of us. You know one of the saddest things that I've ever thought about? Those people that go to hell today go to hell with their sins paid for. Think about that. There's not a sin that he didn't die for on the cross. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He canceled the debt of sin for all humanity. And now one thing is left, to receive him as our Savior. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the Son of God, even to them that believe on his name. I needed that salvation. Oh, how I needed it. I resisted it for a good while, Indy. But on October the 18th, 1963, I couldn't take it anymore. Conviction was just too much for this old country boy. And I said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I've received you as my Savior. I believe you died and rose again for me. And I'll receive you. And oh, what a difference. Oh, what a difference Jesus can make in our lives. As he said to them, he was reflecting on his, the, the manner and the type of ministry. They knew him. They had watched him. They saw his life. They knew what kind of a man he was. They knew he wasn't a hypocrite. They knew he wasn't a fraud. They knew he was the real deal. And said, you know me. You know what kind of ministry I have. And, and he talked about it here. And then in verse 22, he made an announcement. He made an announcement of his upcoming dangerous ministry in Jerusalem. He was so singularly focused. Look at verse 22 through 24 as we read this. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I love what Job said. Though he slay me, Yet will I praise him. People are so afraid of hardship and, and, and suffering and sacrifice. Well, what's it going to cost me? What, 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 what's going to happen? You know what? Our Lord went to the cross. He was holy. And he went there for us. The servant is no better than the master. And the hardships we have are nothing compared to what he went through. And so he doesn't ask something that's unreasonable. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't do himself. And so in verse 23, it says, uh, verse 24, I love verse 24. 
My goal in life is found, Pastor, in this verse. Look at verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Your course is not my course. Rather, your course is not my course, and mine is not yours. What the Lord has for you to do, Indy, is yours. And the apostle said, I want to finish my course with joy. Not just finish it. That shouldn't just, that's not enough. It would be good to finish the course, but let's finish it with joy. Joy in knowing that the Lord made all this possible. Joy knowing that the one that I'm serving, I'm preaching, I'm teaching about, someday, Brother Lyle, I will be in his presence. Remember the song? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. What a wonderful thought. That's my goal in life, Indy, that I might finish my course with joy. And I can tell you one thing. There have been some rough spots. Oh, there have been a lot of rough spots along the way. But I have joy. I have joy. When I go to the doctor's office, when I go to have blood work, and all these people say, well, how are you today? I love to answer that question. I say, I'm happy in the Lord. The Lord is good to me. They'll say, how's the world treating you? I say, the world's treating me horrible, but the Lord's taking care of that. He said, I want to finish my course with joy. He was singularly focused. He was not going to let a bunch of idolaters stand in his way of finishing his course. He wasn't going to let the cat of nine tails slow him down. And he wasn't going to let a stoning slow him down. Yes, they would stone him and leave him for dead. And the Lord would raise him up and he'd go again. What a wonderful example. And he had every uh, right to tell these people what he had to say. He was one who could encourage from past experience. He could give an exhortation because he had been there. He had done that. And he's simply telling them to carry on. I have so much respect for, for God's men. Men who have made a difference in my life over the years. The great prophecy teacher, Carl Johnson, when he was on the earth, used to be our pastor. He led my mom and dad to the Lord, and, and he held uh, prophecy conferences all up and down the East Coast, was a professor at the Appalachian Bible College, was such a great man. I loved him. And he just touched my life. And I have been privileged in little country churches to hear some of the finest preachers you could ever imagine. Some of them never went to Bible college but they knew the Word. And they knew the one who was the author of the Word. Linda's Uncle Eddie was one of my mentors. Oh, how he knew the Bible. Cover to cover, every part of it. He was so doctrinally sound. He was the, he was the, um, uh, he was the leader of my ordination council, moderator, whatever you want to call it. And he was highly respected. And served the Lord till he was preaching a funeral the day before he died. And he had to stop in the middle of it and have a, another brother finish the message. He was that dedicated. But I've had, I've had wonderful 
input from some of the finest preachers that ever lived, I believe. Preachers, when they preach, when they come to Revelation 20, chapter 15, verse 15, and whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I felt that conviction. I felt that fear. And some people think that fear is not a good motive for getting saved. I disagree. I know how it works on me. You read the book of June, you'll say some saved with fire and some, and some with, uh, with fear. I'll tell you what, uh, in my case, it was a matter of fear. If you want to call it a, a fire insurance policy, for a moment it was for me. I learned a lot of things later. But I did not want to go to hell, and I realized that Jesus went to the cross, paid my debt of sins, and he rose again with victory. And it was no longer up to me to live in my strength. I could trust in him. He would be my strength. He's my salvation, and he's my strength. He's the strength of my life. When we witness and we win someone to the Lord, we need to remind them, your energy will run out quickly. Your, your wisdom will be insufficient. You need the Lord's strength. You need the Lord's wisdom. And he'll be there. He will not fail you. As we go ahead, we find that not only did Paul make this announcement about his dangerous ministry, he gave an exhortation and a warning. In verse 25 through 28, notice his warning. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Now, that's a sad moment. He's talking to the elders, the leaders, the shepherds, that are going to go back to that idolatrous town. The war is raging on. It didn't stop when he taught a few years there. He just was there for a season. He's preparing these elders to go back and wage the war. These, uh, it's required that, uh, that we be that that we be faithful, faithful in the in the mysteries of the gospel, faithful to carry on that which is the word of God, the message of the gospel, one generation to another generation to another. And he wanted these men to know that they have a responsibility. This is his charge to them. He said, you're not going to see my face anymore. People give too much credit to people. People look up. Now, people should respect their pastor, respect their leaders. I, I like that. But let me tell you, for it is God who works through us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Faithful is he that called who also will do it. You read that verse this morning. And Paul knows that he's not going to see these brethren anymore. This is their final meeting. You know, today, I've done this before. I've said goodbye to a lot of different churches I've pastored over the years. I've shook hands with people at the door and wiped away tears and watched them wipe away tears. It's a sad farewell. But I know one thing. Yes, it's true. Indy, there are people that I said goodbye to today that I may never, ever see again on this earth. But I know one thing. I don't want them putting too much stake in me, not giving too much attention to me or too much attention to you or too much attention to you or any pastor. Let us just know that we are servants of the Lord our God. We're servants of the risen Savior. He's the master.
and we're just servants, a willing vessel. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself, servants who obey his servant you are, to whom you obey whether sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. We are servants yielding to the master. And the secret to service, the secret to successful service is drawing from his strength and not ours. Letting him lead the way. Letting him empower us and giving him the glory. And that's a formula that works, folks. As I look at this, I see that not only is he sad that they won't see him anymore. In other words, he's telling them, you can't lean on me. You're not going to see me anymore. You're going to have to learn to stand on your own two feet with the Lord as your strength. Let him be your shield and buckler. You don't need any one human. You need the Lord. And together, brethren, you can fight a successful battle. I'm looking at verse 26. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He said, you're not going to be able to blame me because I preached and I preached and I taught and I taught. But you've got to do the same thing. The work must go on. And if God has placed you in a certain place with a certain calling, don't make excuses. Make progress in the strength of the Lord. Be diligent and be determined. This business of winning souls is an everyday thing. Can I give you a little testimony? And I want you to listen closely. This is the, this is the truth. I have found a way to measure my spiritual temperature. I can tell how close I am to the Lord with how faithful I have been lately in sharing the gospel as a soul winner. If I go through periods in which I'm not really sharing the gospel and being a soul winner, I can promise you I'm in a spiritual decline. And the remedy is so simple. Get right with the Lord and get busy witnessing and winning lost souls. That's when you're the happiest. That's when the power of God is, is the greatest. And God's blessing on a soul winning church will be there. If you have a church in which people just want to uh, put on a show, if you have a church in which people are just so concerned about how they look, how the church looks, and, and how they can appease the world and appeal to the world, they'll get the blessing of the world but that's not what we need, Brother Law. We need the blessing of God. One of the greatest things that Pastor Chapel has ever taught in this church is one simple principle. We are at our best when we want what He wants. When His priorities become our priorities, that's when we have His power and blessing. And so we read on and we see this. Verse 27, he said, For I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. He's talking to elders, leaders, pastors, overseers, whatever you want to call them. He said, God has made you overseers. Feed the church of God. You are responsible for the diet of the flock. Now you can't make them listen, but your, the menu is, is your job. 
and you need to feed them. These elders, he's saying, listen, elders, you've got to go back to Ephesus. You've got to go back to that idol-worshiping bunch. You've got to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You can have God's blessing if you'll just get busy and stay at it. And then he gave a serious warning. For I know this. Oh, I, I don't want to miss that one phrase. Let me back up. Forgive me. He said, Over the which he hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. I love that message this morning about how much we should love the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's how important. You know what? I have a watch right here, and the value of that watch was determined by the company that sold it, and I paid a certain amount for that. And that's the value that I would place if someone stole it and I wanted to get an insurance uh, payment for this watch. So how valuable are we as his body? How important are we to the church? Well, what did he pay for us? What? Know you not that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price? What was the price? The precious blood of Christ. If he would shed his blood for you and for me, that is how valuable we are to the Lord. Now he says, in a word of warning, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, and uh, not sparing the flock. There's a warning for the wolves, those who would come from the outside in. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. The pastor was so right when he said, in almost every congregation, and maybe every congregation, there are false brethren. There are people whose names are on the roll, who know the right words to say to satisfy some soul winner's presentation that they have trusted Christ. But maybe their heart is just as cold and against God as it ever was. And for whatever reason, we may have one over here, one over here, one back there that... They're on the church road, but they're not his. And he's warning that not, we don't just have to worry about people coming from the outside in with heresy. We have to be careful about false teaching from within our own ranks. That word of warning. And so his warning is in verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This was not a one-time warning. He warned about false teachers. I hear stuff all the time. I love, there was a pastor named Orville Lester. And Orville Lester was a, he was a Baptist preacher when I was in the military, just called to preach at age 25. Orville Lester was a Baptist preacher who was assigned to a remote area. And every once in a while, he would come to our base to get supplies. On occasion, we would be around somebody who was talking about some crazy, uh, unscriptural thing. You know what he would do? He'd say, where'd you get that junk? <laughs> I love that. Where'd you get that junk? He said, watch. In other words, be on the lookout. Pay attention to what people are saying. Someone makes a statement in your Sunday school class, and it's not biblical. You don't have to be obnoxious, but you need to make a correction. We need to watch 
for the wolves who are coming in. We need to watch people of our own body that might be teaching false doctrine. He said, watch. He said, for three years I warned you night and day with tears. But at some point, there's only so much we can say. There's only so much that we can do. And Paul commends them to the Lord. In verse 32, he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. It matters what we do. Behavior matters. Lifestyle matters. Believe it or not, what you do is a part not only of your testimony, but it strongly affects how people see you in terms of credibility. If they know you're living like the devil, they're not going to pay any attention to you telling them about the Lord. We need to make sure that our lifestyle and that our behavior is pleasing. Oh, I love that song. Don't you love, love that verse? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In 1 John 3, it tells us in verse 22 that we ask and we receive of the Lord because we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So my motto in life is pleasing Jesus. A two-word motto. How about that? Two words. I want to please Jesus because I believe that if I please Jesus, I'll be all right. If I'm pleasing unto Him, He'll bless my home. If I'm pleasing unto Him, He'll bless my ministry. If I'm pleasing unto Him, I'll hear those wonderful words in me. Well done, good and faithful servant. As I look at this, and I see verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the word of the Lord Jesus, how He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, I'll just say this. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Can you just see the affection? Can you just see the devotion? The appreciation for the man of God? I read this, Pastor, and I want to be that guy. I want to be a man of whom it's said of many, and so-and-so did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. I want to be that man of whom God said he was a man after God's own heart. I want to be that kind of guy. Well, they fell on his neck, and they wept sore, and they kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. I'll say this before I close. As I leave this place, I leave with a confidence, but I'm going to, a confidence that, Brother Lyle, even as you have been a faithful servant 
throughout these years that you will continue. Let me charge you, do that. The love you have for Christ and the devotion to His cause, keep it up. Don't ever let the devil put anything between you and the Lord. Keep it up. Pastor, I'll say this to you. I respect you so very much. And I see your heart. I see your heart as you love the people. I see your heart for the Word of God, how you believe it, and how you preach it, and how you depend on it. But I'll say to you, keep it up. You've had some hard trials. And these have been difficult times. They'll get worse. But don't you give up. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Don't give up. The souls of man are too important to give up. His church is too important to give up. It's too important to slack up and take a break. We need to double our efforts and to pray more and to study more and to witness more and be His good and faithful servants. Let's bow our heads and pray, shall we? And as we pray, I want to say if there's someone watching online, maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I'll just remind you that you were lost. And without Christ, you will never get to heaven. Our God is holy. He is perfect. And that's God's standard is holiness and perfection, which none of us could ever reach apart from the blessing of God. But oh, how Jesus came to the cross. And his blood took our sins out of the way. And he offers now to receive us, those who would believe on him with all our hearts. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came. God in human flesh, he died on the cross. Jesus shed his blood to take our sin out of the way, and he died. The wages of sin is death, and he paid that sin debt in full. And raising, being raised from the dead, he is victorious. He is powerful. And he's able to save all who come unto him, and he will. Won't you trust him today? You who are lost, if you believe that Jesus died in the, on the cross and paid the debt of your sins, if you believe that he rose again and offers you eternal life, would you call on him today? For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That I love Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Will you trust him tonight? Would you pray with me now even as I pray? Open your heart to the Lord, whatever words you want to use. And just tell the Lord Jesus you love him. Tell him you believe in him. Tell him you believe that he died in your place and that he rose again. And tell him you receive him as your Savior. Oh, dear Lord, would you save that soul that's nearest hell right now? Lord, would you convict and draw that one who knows they have a need, who knows they're not right with you, not ready for heaven? Lord, may this be the day of salvation for them. Convict their hearts and bring them to their knees in repentance and receiving you as Savior. We ask, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. I'll say this tonight before I turn it over to the pastor. Once again, thank you for the honor, Pastor, of serving at your side. Thank you, Freeway Baptist Church, for the love and the caring, the thoughtfulness. Thank you for the cards and the gifts 
we will never forget you. Mrs. Pack and I love you, and we will never forget you. Pastor. Praise the Lord that tonight we have heard from one of God's choicest servants. It's my prayer that each of us would, through this message, draw something that would cause us to go on for the Lord, to be more fervent in our faithfulness and our devotion. Pastor and Mrs. Pack, we love you. And you go with our love. You go with our prayers. And uh, you're always going to be family to us. And we look forward to that the Lord should tarry his coming, seeing you again. And as they say, if not here, there, or in the air. And uh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your ministry to us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the Pack family. Thank you, Lord, for their testimony, for their fervency for thee. Lord, order their steps. Keep them in safety and in health. Allow them, Lord, to be as useful in your service wherever they may go as they have been here. And Lord, I pray that you would have your hand mightily upon them. Protect them as they go. And Lord, I pray that uh, their reunion with loved ones uh, on the East Coast would be sweet. And Lord, I pray that until we meet again, that you might bless and be with them in a profound way. For this we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus.